I'd like to invite you to turn to page 1050 in your Sanctuary Bible. Our reading today is John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. John 1, 29 through 42. Is, there, is this on? Can everybody hear me? All right, great. So I'd like to say a few words of introduction before we go to our reading. This uh, passage in particular brings up the question of testifying to something or witnessing to something. There's a lot of words in it that have to do with looking at things, seeing things, and then talking about them. The Greek word that's used, especially for witness or testify, is the Greek word martyron. martyron. And that's where we get our word martyr, the word that we have for somebody who goes and suffers on behalf of something that they're testifying about. At least that's what it means in our language. In our language, to be a martyr means that you proclaim something that you've seen and you suffer violence because of it. There's other cultures where a martyr is somebody who does violence to somebody else, but that's not what we're talking about here. As we understand it, a martyr is a witness of something that they've seen that they testify about later. John, of all the Gospels, and I don't always think of it this way, but it is this way. Of all the Gospels, John is the most forensic Gospel that we have. It's very interested in proof. It's very interested in witnesses to things happening. And so, over and over again, Jesus talks about all the things that witness to him. Some of the things that you find in John's Gospel that witness to him um, are the light, The light testifies about Jesus. The Father testifies about Jesus. The Gospel writer testifies about Jesus. Jesus' own miracles testify about Jesus. And then finally, Jesus often says that the Scriptures testify about him. So there's a lot of forensic testifying going on in John's Gospel. It's a Gospel very interested in people coming to know what it is that Jesus has done through eyewitness testimony. There's a beautiful line at the end of John's gospel that, said, that says basically, you know, I've written this book so that you can know. Now, I suppose that if we were to write down everything that Jesus did, the whole world wouldn't contain all the books that would be written. The sense that there's this overabundance of things that testify about Jesus. So let's keep that in mind. I'd like to invite you to keep that in mind, this idea of testimony and witness, as we go to our reading. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize With the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. 
The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to just look at one verse in this passage, this long passage from John. And it goes like this. It's from the song that we just sang. Behold, or look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The children are really smart. You know, they, they knew where this was going. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'd like to unpack that, just word by word, actually. It's going to take a little time, and then at the end I'll just say a few concluding remarks about it. But first off, let's look at that first idea of behold. Again, we have this sense of witness and testify. John is telling people, look at him. Don't look at me. Look at him. I want you to have an experience with your eyes. I want you to experience with your senses so that you know who this is. Because if you see something, if you experience something, you will then be able to tell somebody else about it. You will be able to testify about it. So looking can be translated into testifying or martyring for it. So there's an invitation right away that whoever's listening to John there, right down there by the Jordan, there, he's inviting people in to see something for themselves. This is so important in John's gospel is people understand it for themselves and see it themselves. The next little phrase is the Lamb of God. Now, this is interesting. I love how the children said, uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Mary had a little lamb. They know that rhyme, right? Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow. From there on out, it doesn't seem to be much of a Bible story, but up, up till there, it's, a, it's a good. You maybe could change the rhyme, and it would be something else. Um, the Lamb of God could be, could be translated two ways. One is the Lamb that comes from God, or flows out of God. The other is that it's God's lamb. It belongs to God. Either way, this works, though, doesn't it? It's God's lamb. It's the lamb that comes from God. It's the lamb that originates in God and comes into the world. Now, the, the phrase that how lambs were used in the Bible is worth a little bit of consideration. In the Old Testament, most often, the lamb was not the preferred animal that was part of the sacrifice system of, of the children of God. 
More often, there were bulls that were sacrificed and goats that were sacrificed, and adult sheep were sacrificed. But in a few cases, lambs were offered as a sacrifice, sometimes as something known as a, as a whole burnt offering where the, the lamb was entirely consumed at the altar, other times where it was, it was simply sacrificed and part of it was used as food for the, the Levites, the people who ran uh, the tabernacle or the temple. Um, and we have that story from the Old Testament of the Exodus, how the lamb was slaughtered and its blood was used to protect the people of Israel from the angel of death as the final plague on Egypt. Sometimes lambs were used as an offering of atonement. An offering of atonement was something where you would come to the priest and you would confess your sins and you would also bring that animal with you. But depending on the sin, if you read Leviticus, depending on the sin, you would bring a lamb for some sins, you would bring a goat for other sins, you would bring a bull for other sins. It's, uh, it's quite complex, the, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. So there's some precedent that there's an idea that a lamb can be an atonement sacrifice. The lamb has some part to play in God taking away the sin of somebody who comes in repentance. But one thing, and, and this is borne out, if you've ever been to a farm um, and you look at a, a flock of sheep, sheep are not, they are not nice animals. They're, they are not good-looking animals um, if they've been running around for, for very long at all, they're, they're really filthy. Their beautiful white uh, wool is usually just matted and knotted together with mud and gunk. And uh, In fact, I, I took my daughter to this hidden villa farm uh, in, in December, and we met some sheep. And I, I really did not want to touch them. It, it, was, not, it was not a pleasant, and, and my daughter was afraid of them, you know. Sheep are not nice. You know, they, can, they can get kind of aggressive. They come after you. Uh, and so you look at a flock of sheep or a herd of sheep, and uh, not a lot to look at there. But when there's a newborn lamb in that flock, it really does look different. It really is a different kind of animal. It's soft. It really is fluffy. It hasn't gotten dirty yet, so it's white and pure and spotless. And I think that's where some of this is going in our text. Here's something that's new and young and spotless and pure still. And that's what you take when you go to sacrifice. Well, John is funny, though. John does a lot of funny things in his gospel. He mixes some metaphors. He puts us into some paradoxes. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. But at other times, he says of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd goes and looks for the lost sheep. I care for the sheep. I protect the sheep from evil. So can Jesus be a lamb and a shepherd at the same time? Well, he can. He's Jesus. But, but John's trying to get us to think organically here. And in this case, when John, and I, when I say John getting us to think, I mean John the evangelist, the one who wrote the gospel. The John that we're talking about here in this passage, I should have mentioned this earlier, is John the Baptist. It gets a little confusing. John the Baptist is highlighting that Jesus is the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. So let's go to that next. Takes away 
the sin of the world. The Greek word there for take away is the Greek word iro. And it's from a class of words that have to do with really picking something up, lifting it, and carrying it somewhere else. To basically, that's why it sometimes is, tr- is translated as take away um, or remove. This idea that um, something actually moves its location and it's lifted up, it's borne up. And if you do some of the, if you kind of go through the motions of lifting something up and carrying it away, you get this amazing picture of what Jesus did on the cross when the lamb was on the cross, when the shepherd was on the cross, of plucking all the sin out of the world and putting it on his shoulders there on the cross and that being borne away from us, carried away from us. That's how God forgives sin. In fact, the Bible talks about God's forgiveness as being just that. My sins are now so far away from me that I can't see them anymore. I can't even think about them anymore because they're so far gone, as far as the east is from the west. That's far. They didn't believe in a round world back then. If they knew, they, would, they knew it would have touched back then. Don't think about it that way. Just think of it going to the opposite ends of this flat world and falling off into the abyss on opposite sides. Finally, the world takes away the sin of the world. We have to realize just how open John's gospel is here. People at that time were really more interested in what's good for my tribe, what's good for my nation, what's good for Israel, what's good for the U.S. of A. But John, John doesn't, Jesus doesn't say that. Or John doesn't say that about Jesus. It doesn't say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this little group here or just people inside this building. The world. The Greek word there is cosmos. Literally, it could be the universe. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the universe. Everything that we know, the whole created order. And not just that, in John's gospel in particular, whenever you see the, the word the world, that doesn't just mean all of created order, but it has this spiritual meaning too. As that part of creation, which is almost all of it, that part of creation that is actively opposed to God's purposes in the world, that part of the created order that is at enmity with God, that wants to bring God down, that wants to stop God in his tracks, that wants to confound God's purposes and designs for the world. So the world is this thing that's in opposition to God. And yet, John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God. Look at the Lamb of God. Look at this atoning sacrifice. Look at this spotless person who's come to bear away as far as the east is from the west, the sins not just of this small group here, but of all the world and all that's opposed to him. It's like Jesus saying on the cross, forgive them for they do not know what they do. These people who are killing me, yet I would love for God to forgive them. The whole gospel could be summed up In this one sentence, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
John wrote this so that we could witness, or so the people then could witness. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done. And now tell other people. But who's going to witness now? Who's going to witness about what's happening here and in what God is doing in the world? Later on in our passage here, we see that there's this emphasis on people coming and seeing for themselves. Even people come up to Jesus and say, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Come and look at what I'm doing. Come and stay where I am. Come and see what I'm doing so that you can tell others. All the early disciples experienced so that they could become martyrs, so that they could give testimony, and yet they all suffered for it. This morning you may be asking yourself, how can I be a witness like that? The answer is to behold, is to look, is to see the Lamb of God. You know, what's hard is we can't transport ourselves back in time to that really dramatic moment where the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and it all came through to us in amazing technicolor. We can't go back in time like that so that we could witness to it. We can't do that. But what I want you to do, and I'm going to ask you, is to take a moment right now. Take a moment and think back to a time when you understood the richness of God's grace in your life. Take a moment now to think back at a time when you came full of your own brokenness and sin. And yet God reached into that and said, by my son's work, I'm going to pluck that up and off of your shoulders. And he's going to bear it away through his own sacrifice. And it is now so far away from you It's as if the east is from the west. Do you remember that moment? I think for me it was at Bible camp. Bible camp is great. They really got us to a place where we understood what Jesus had done for us. And I remember this deep sense of peace and love and serenity flowing into me from God where I realize it's going to be all right. Yes, I come with my sin. I come with my brokenness. It's still a problem. But he takes it away. He takes it away even if I'm in enmity with God. He wants to forgive. If you haven't had that experience, If you haven't had that experience of Jesus entering your life, and this morning you may be thinking to yourself, I can barely walk in the doors of this church. I'm not sure what's going to happen to me in here. It's safe. Trust me, it's safe. You're in the safest place in the world right now. If you walked in here this morning and you have this deep yearning to connect to God, and you have this heavy burden which you would like God to take away, you can have that moment to come and behold. At the end of the service, I'll be standing up here. One or two of our deacons will be up here too. I'll invite you at that time to come forward for a prayer so that you can hear this good news for yourself. 
And we trust then that you'll be able to witness and testify to it on your own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.